taught about the love of God, God's radical love. And one of the points that we made was that God's love is equal. God loves us all equally the same. And a lot of you nodded your heads in approval and even a couple of amens. We, we like that. God loves us equal. We like that point. Um, that's great. It's a true and a valid point. God does love us equally. However, God does not always treat us equally. Because the thing that you need is not necessarily the thing that I need. The thing that God needs to do in you to mature you, to become more like Jesus, might be something different than what he's got to do in me and to me. Does this make sense? And so he loves us equally, but he doesn't treat us equally. From our perspective, that might not always look fair. We like that word, fair. But fair is such a... um, it's, really, it's such a relative term. What I feel is fair and what you feel are fair, is fair are, is often two different things. Is it not? Any, any parent, is, you know, any, you've, anybody who's worked with kids has experienced, that's not fair, right? And you say, to which you say, life ain't fair, baby, right? That's kind of the response. So just because it, it doesn't always appear fair, but you know God is loving. That's the point. God loves us equally, but he doesn't always treat us equally. So with this in mind, I want to make a statement to get us started this morning that you might think is heresy, and I, and I I, I promise you that I'll explain it, so don't throw rocks at me until the very end, and then you can, then you can pelt me all you'd like, but hang tight. But here's the statement, okay? The statement is designed to do that, make us think, and then we'll unpack it. So the statement is this. We're saved by grace. We're judged by our works. We're saved by grace, but we're judged by our works. See, Jesus paid for your salvation. We just celebrated it. He he bought it. The whole thing, it's paid for. And if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, then hell is no longer an issue for you. I'm God's child. Hell is not something I worry about. I really don't. I have not given hell much thought in a very long time in my life. Because I I mean, Jesus bought me. I'm his. He paid for me. So that's not an issue, really. If you've been saved by Christ, hell's not an issue. But God does evaluate He does judge us according to our works. Here's just a sampling of what the scriptures say. And there's a lot of scriptures, so I put them on the PowerPoint, and we'll look up 1 Corinthians 3 in a moment. But here's the first one. Psalm 62, verse 12. It says, With you, Lord, is unfailing love, and you reward everyone according to what they have done. Jeremiah 17, verse 10. God says, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. Now, so that you don't write this off as 
an Old Testament thing, because I know sometimes we do that. You say, oh, that's Old Testament. I'm New Testament. Okay, here's what the New Testament says. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 8. For you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And even Jesus had something to say about it. Matthew chapter 16, verse 27. He says, that For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what they have done. So you understand that there is an evaluation of our lives before God. We're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Salvation is a gift of grace. But there is still going to be a very careful assessment of my life before God. I still must give an accounting. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 to 15. Let's just read this, okay? It says, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, and he says, By the grace of God, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. So that's a description, right, of Paul's ministry. You know, Paul was a, a traveling missionary. He was an itinerant preacher, right? He'd go into a new town, nobody there. I mean, this is, nobody would have heard about Jesus in this town, right? He'd go in, preach, people would turn to Christ. Then Paul would lay, raise up a couple of elders to take charge of that church, and he'd move on to the next town. And so Paul literally was building the foundation, right? And then he would leave, and they would have to build on top of that. So that's what he's referring to there. That's really a description of his whole ministry. Verse 11, he goes, No one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the bedrock. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation, so you understand, we're not questioning the foundation, right? The foundation is what? Who? Jesus, he's the foundation. Now, what do you build on that foundation? He says, if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. That word, the day, that's another way of saying judgment day. That's the day, the big, like the final exam day. That test, right? The day will bring it to light. So there'll come a day when my life, how I've built, is going to be examined. It'll be revealed, it says, with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what he has built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss. But yet we'll be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. So you see pretty clearly, it's not a question of salvation. This is not a judgment about you're saved, you're not saved, heaven or hell. This is, this is all of those who have already placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Hell's not the question. Now I'm standing before the throne and God's assessing my life. 
And, and he says, okay, so I, I gave you a good foundation. Do you, any, can I get an amen? Jesus, the best foundation, right? So he gives us the best foundation, right? Does he not? I'm, I'm going to lay a bedrock for you. So you and I got a rock-solid foundation. Now he goes, okay, so now, Rouse, how did you build on that foundation? Let's assess the building. And it's going to be tested with fire. And obviously, wood, hay, and straw doesn't survive very well in a fire, does it not? So the gold, silver, and the precious jewels, that represents what lasts. And the wood, hay, and stubble represents what doesn't last. And he says, you know what? There's parts of my life that I've built that just, they just don't have any eternal value. And every one of us has that. And, and in one sense, you've got to say that's not a sin, right? I mean, because there's stuff in our life. I mean, we, we do live, you know... I got to eat, I got to work, I got, there's stuff I got to pay bills. You know, there's stuff that just doesn't have eternal value, but that doesn't mean it's a sin. I hope you're not hearing that right, okay? Or, or I hope you are hearing it right. Hear my heart. So it's not that, but there's stuff that just doesn't last. That gets burnt. But then what does last? What's for eternity? And he says that some people, their whole thing's going to go up in smoke. I mean, they'll escape, it says, the, the flames, right? But you're going to smell that kind of burnt smell. They, they barely squeaked in the gate. And then there's going to be others that are loaded. And God promises that he'll reward us, but the choice is up to us. It's kind of like this. I can maybe illustrate it this way. A long time ago, when our children were very little, I gave each one of our kids the same offer. I told them that if you read through the whole Bible, I'll give you $100. Because I really, I really value that. I, wa- I wanted my children to, to develop that discipline in their lives, right? So I thought, I'm going to reward that. So I gave, each one, I gave all three of my kids the same challenge, same invitation. Read through the whole Bible, give you 100 bucks. Now, let's say, and I'm not going to tell you, I'm not going to, tell any stories on my kids. They're awesome. But let's say one of them, one of them read through, they did it, and the other two didn't. And I give that one a $100 bill. Have I been fair? I have, haven't I? Right? That's called a reward. It doesn't mean that I don't love the other two, does it not? The, the question of them being my children, that's not, even, that's not even on the table. I love all three of them. I've offered a reward one of them took me up on it. Two of them did not. Does this make sense? What if one of them took me up on it, and then I felt bad? I said, you know, I'm just going to give all three of you $100. Only one of you did the work, but I'll give all three of you $100. Is that fair? Not at all, is it? And yet, isn't that kind of how we perceive things? That's kind of what we want a lot, isn't it, in our flesh? But the truth is, our God is a good father, and he's promised rewards, certain rewards. And, and the, the reality is that if you know Jesus and I know Jesus, both of us are going to get to heaven. But it's very possible that one of us might have more rewards than another. Because God's made the same offer to us, will you take him up on it? So a quick glance at the Bible reveals some 
of the behaviors for which our Heavenly Father rewards us. Here are some of the rewards. I want to look this morning at three things. Rewards, conditional promises, and then crowns. So first, rewards. Here's some of the things God rewards us for. By them, meaning God's commands, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. You want great reward? Obey God's commands. Proverbs eleven eighteen, A wicked person earns deceptive wages, but the one who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. You want a sure reward? Then invest in right behavior. Um, Proverbs 19, verse 17. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. You want to melt daddy's heart? Give to someone who needs, who's in need. God just digs that. That moves him so much. His heart swells with pride when he sees you, you know, serving someone in need. Loves it. He rewards that behavior. Um, read, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 12. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. That's Jesus speaking to those who are persecuted. He says, blessed are you if you're persecuted. And then he says, rejoice and be glad because you've got a great reward in heaven. So you had a rough day. You got some coworkers ragging on you for your faith. Just smile because Jesus says there's a reward for you. How about Matthew chapter 546? If you love those who love you, Jesus says, what reward will you get? In other words, the flip of that is you get rewarded for loving people that you don't like. You get rewarded for loving people that aren't easy for you to love. And, and, and he says, it's kind of obvious, like, you love people that are easy for you to love. Duh. I mean, even pagans can do that. I mean, that's, that, that requires nothing. If you want a real reward from God, try loving somebody that is really hard for you to love. Follow? Jesus goes, there's a reward for that behavior. Um, Matthew 10, 41. Whoever welcomes a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. You want the reward of a prophet? Welcome the prophet. You want the reward of someone who walks and lives in righteousness? Then admire and honor and welcome that righteous person, right? He says you can get their reward. And then one more, and I admit it's kind of for selfish reasons, but 1 Corinthians 9.17, it says, there you go, you're all, you already read it. Yeah, if I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I'm simply discharging the trust committed to me. See, there's a reward for volunteering to minister to others. God rewards certain behaviors. But God also has given conditional promises where he says, if you do this, then I'll do this. In fact, most of God's promises have conditions. Did you know that? God only has very few unconditional promises. They're just a handful. Most of God's promises are conditional, where God says, if you do this, then I will do this. Let's look at a couple. I'm only going to share a handful. Salvation is a conditional promise. You know that? John chapter 3, verse 16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. 
It's a condition. So Jesus died for everybody, but not everybody's saved. Why? Because you have to respond to it in faith in order to receive it. Salvation is a conditional promise. It's not a blanket promise. Is it yours? I hope you've received it. I, the second one is peace. Peace is a conditional promise. If only, Isaiah forty-eight eighteen says, if only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river, your well-being like the waves of the sea. Peace is a conditional promise of God. Every area of your life that is not at rest is an area where you're disobeying God. Because God has promised. Peace comes with obedience. They go together. Well-being is also a conditional promise. Um, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2, it says, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on earth. I think it's interesting that the first command... God gave us other commandments, right, that came before that. There were other commandments in the Ten Commandments, right? This is the first commandment that God goes, I'm going to command you to do this, and then I'm going to promise you, if you do this, this is going to happen. See that? It's the first commandment with a promise. In other words, it's pretty important. Really important. It's paramount importance. He says, honor your father and mother that it might go well with you. You want a sense of well-being in your life? Honor your parents. Listen, I've never met a happy rebel. Have you? Never met one. Rebels are the most miserable people on the planet. Well-being, it comes from honoring, honoring our parents. It's where it begins. You know, You notice that there's no age limit on this? I'm still required to honor my mom and dad. I haven't lived with them for over 30 years, but I still honor my mom and dad. I don't obey them. You know, my dad doesn't say, hey, I want you home by 11, okay? That's not what he does anymore. I don't have a curfew. But I still honor my mom and dad. And you notice it even extends past their lifetime. Your parents don't have to be living for you to honor them. You can honor your dead parents. In fact, we're supposed to, I believe. We honor their memory. We bless who they were. We're grateful for their influence in our lives. We honor them. And, and honoring and obeying are two different things. They're not the same thing. When you're five, you honor your parents by obeying them. They say, brush your teeth, you do it. That's, that's how you honor your mom and dad. As you get older and become more mature and independent, then the obedience isn't as connected as the honor is. But the honor is still there. God promises there's a blessing to those who honor their parents. And then lastly, just one more, last one. Your maturity as a Christian is a conditional promise. First um, Peter chapter 1, verse 4, it says, Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. He's given us these very great promises so that through them, so that as we follow through on them, as we obey his commands, right, through them, we would participate in the divine nature. Getting saved is free. Your maturity is expensive. 
In order to mature as a Christian man, I must obey the promises of God. God says, if you do this, then I'll do this. I say, okay. And each time I obey, I mature a little bit more. So God offers these blanket rewards. God offers conditional promises where he says, if you do this, I'll do this. But lastly, God offers crowns for us to receive. Now, there's one thing that we need to know that's about crowns. These crowns are reserved for heaven. I can receive the rewards of obedience to God here. There are some rewards we can receive here. Right? There are blessings that we get here. And many of them are awesome, and they're for right now. I don't have to wait until I die. I, I can enjoy many of them right now. But these crowns, they are for heaven. So let me clarify that. And there are several crowns. I just wanted to share these because these are so cool. I mean, our Father is just so, he's so generous, you know? I mean, you think about it, he doesn't have to give us anything. Does he? He doesn't owe us a thing. And yet, and yet he's just so overwhelmingly loving, you know? And I think it's cool that he knows, he knows how we're wired, obviously. He made us. I mean, do, do we not like incentives? There's something about it that just kind of drives us, doesn't it? I've, I was chuckling to myself the other day. Our son, he got, a, he got a new watch, so I got his old one. And that's, that's the stage in life I'm at. I get my kids' hand-me-downs. It's great. So I get Caston's old Fitbit here, right? And it's the silliest, goofiest thing. I never cared before how many steps I took in a day. Suddenly, I'm looking at it all day long. Man, only long. Well, I've got 4,461 steps I've taken so far. Halfway to my 10,000-step goal. Whoop, 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 right? Like, that meant nothing a month ago. And now you put it on my wrist, and suddenly I'm motivated to get my... Literally, the other day, I'm in here praying. You know, normally I like to kneel and pray, but I'm like, i got to get steps in. So I was doing loops around the sanctuary while I was praying. I don't know how many. I got like a half mile. I, you know, went around, around, and around. It was ex- just getting my steps in. I got... It, well, no, but my watch said, good job. It's amazing how that's... <laughs> right? <laughs> Like, what, what is it about that that motivates us? Like, why, if, if this silly little gadget motivates me to get more steps, right? The God of the universe says, hey, I got something way better than that. Does he not? I, I don't know about you, but I hear this, and I'm, and I'm incentivized. I'm like, God, really, you have rewards for me, Dad? Okay, I'm I'm game. I'm looking for some poor person to bless. Like, come on, I want that reward. You know, I want something. It's, uh, and I don't think there's anything. I think there's a, I tell you, I believe there's a wholesomeness about that. There's a childlikeness about that. Your father has said, I'm going to reward that. Okay, dad. Anyway, let's talk about the crowns. So the crown, there's a crown this. There's a crown for self-discipline. First uh, Corinthians 9.25. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it. We go into strict training to get a crown that lasts forever. There's a crown for self-discipline. Why do I get up early to read the Bible and pray? 
Why do I give sacrificially? Why do we fast? Why do I fast and skip meals to pray? Why do I stay up late to serve even when I'm tired? Why do I push myself so hard? Why, why, why? Because there's a crown waiting. A crown that God says, I'll give it to you. Self-discipline earns a crown. You know, an athlete puts himself through hell to get a little medal. He hangs on the chest. Wow, our Father has promised us an eternal crown. Why not discipline ourselves, bring ourselves under discipline, spiritually speaking, to receive the reward that lasts forever? The next one is the victor's crown. It's a victor's, the victor's crown is specifically for martyrs. 2 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 5. The context is this. Verse 3, he says, join with me in suffering. The Apostle Paul, this is his very last letter. We know 2 Timothy was the last writing of the Apostle Paul. After this, he was beheaded for his faith. So, and he knew it. He knew his time was short. Okay? So the context here is, I'm about to die. And so he asks Timothy, join with me in suffering. And then he says, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. Paul was very conscious that as he comes near the end of that finish line, I'm going to play by the rules. I'm not messing up this one. I'm going to cross this finish line and I'm going to get that victor's crown. Um, Revelation chapter 2 verse 10, the victor's crown is mentioned again. It says, do not be afraid Uh, Jesus is speaking to this church who is suffering and being persecuted. And he says, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Be faithful even to the point of death. And I will give you life as your victor's crown. You know, right now in our world, there are many persecuted Christians. And and everyone is, is, is heartbreaking, of course. But heaven doesn't see it that way. Every martyr who crosses heaven's threshold receives a hero's welcome and a victor's crown. They sing songs about it. They're like, yeah. In fact, Revelation tells us that martyrs have a front row seat. They have better than a front row seat. They're kept under the throne room, under the throne of God. You get that? I don't, know. I don't know if I'm going to be in the nosebleed seats or where I'm going to be exactly, but literally, martyrs under the throne room. They've got, they've got the expensive seats. And do they not deserve it? They gave their very life for Jesus. So they get a victor's crown. And then there's the crown of righteousness. 2 Timothy 4.8 says, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. You looking forward to the coming of Jesus, you're living your life faithfully, righteously, right? You're, you're obeying him each step of the way, staying faithful all the way to the end. There's a crown of righteousness that awaits you on that day. Then there's the crown of life. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to all those who love him. So the crown of life is for those who hang tough under trial. Going, you going through stuff? 
You're going through it. Be faithful. Don't cheese out, man. Be faithful. Life goes up, down, up, down, up, down. Stay faithful. And he says, you will receive the crown of life. It's awesome. Then there's the crown of glory. This one is mentioned in 1 Peter chapter 5, and the crown of glory specifically goes to elders. The, the passage, he's addressing elders. It's to the elders. And then he says, when the chief shepherd comes, when the chief shepherd appears, um, another word for elder is shepherd, right? We shepherd the, the flock of God, right? We shepherd people, we lead them and care for them. And so he says, here's the shepherds, and then there's the chief shepherd. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. There's a special crown just for elders. Can we not say thank you, Lord, for Glenn Gerhard, for Harless Flores, for Bud Duplin, for the blessing that these elders are to this body? True? Are we not blessed by them, these faithful men that pray for you and have given many hours of their own lives for you, have invested in you, faithful men? Thank the Lord for them. They receive a crown of glory someday. Huh? But let's, but let's expand that because you have the title elder, but then there are people who serve as elders. I mean, is not Pat Williams, has not Pat blessed this body in numerous ways, right? A crown of glory awaits her. A crown of glory awaits any of us who have shepherded God's people. You've, you've stepped up to the plate and you've said, okay, I'm going to care for people. I'll do it. They need someone to lead them, someone to care for them, someone to invest in them, someone to pray for them, someone to give up time for them. I'll do it. Any one of you that does that, friends, receives the crown of glory. And then there's the crown of people. I know that I'm going late. I apologize. Just two more points and then we're done. Crown of people. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy, he says in 1 Thessalonians. Obviously, you don't wear people as a crown, right? But there is a crown for the investments that we've made in the lives of others. There's a reward for helping other people become all that God wants them to be. You invest your life in others. That comes back to you as a crown. Those people become your crown, right? I, I'm convinced, I don't have a Bible verse to back it up, I don't, but, but I'm convinced that one of the questions that Jesus is going to ask us on Judgment Day is he's going to say, hey, I told you to make disciples, where are your disciples? And, and I wonder if they're even going to say, hey, so any of Doug's disciples here? Anybody? And hope, I'm hoping for a few raised hands. Yeah, I'm here. I'm over here. I'm over here. Wherever in the nosebleed seats, whatever, you know. I sure don't want the crickets to chirp. Because Jesus commanded us to make disciples. He actually commanded us to, to take our lives and invest it in someone else's life in order to help them be all that God intended and created for them to be. And that person becomes a crown. Right? 
All of this talk about rewards and crowns, it might give us the wrong picture, so I want to correct something, okay? While it's true that some receive more rewards than others, that's true. We dare not think of this in terms of a bragging right. It's not like Billy Graham is all blinged out, you know, walking around heaven going, hey, rock star, you know, with the medals and the stuff. That's not the right picture of this. So we're not talking, when we talk rewards, we're not talking bragging rights at all, okay? So let's not think of it that way. Don't go there. That's, that's the wrong way to take it. Revelation chapter 4. Actually, sweetie, you can, you can prepare to lead us, if you will. Revelations chapter 4, verses 10, 10 and 11. It says this. It says, the 24 elders... So this is a picture of what takes place in heaven. Ready? The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and they say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. You are worthy, God. You're worthy, God. And they lay their crowns before him as an act of worship. So it's not about bragging rights at all. In fact, any reward that we're given, any crown that we receive, it's going to be given in worship to the one who ultimately deserves it all. So why do I want the biggest crown? Why do you want the biggest crown? We want to pursue the biggest crown so that we can give the greatest praise to the one who ultimately deserves it all. And some of you might say, well, then why bother? Why do I do all this work? And I'm just going to lose it anyway. I get that. My flesh kind of goes there too sometimes. So, but you know what? When we say that, you need to understand two things. You need to understand worship, and you need to understand the greatness of God and how that works. Okay? When we get in the presence of something truly great, our natural response is to worship it. That's how we were wired. I remember a few years ago, our family, we were on vacation out west, and we were in the Grand Tetons, and we came up to the top of this mountain. And I got to the top of this mountain in the Grand Tetons, and I literally began to cry, like spontaneously cried. The, the, sight, the sight at the top of that mountain was so... I've never seen anything like it in all my life. The beauty, the grandeur, the splendor, I mean, the... Right? And, the, and like the natural, res- literally just tears start coming down my face. What was I doing? Worshiping. No, I'm not worshiping the mountain. But you get in the presence of greatness, and the, and the natural response is awe and wonder and worship. The natural response is to give. You know, whether it's my breath or my time or my money or my whatever, I just, whoa, you acknowledge the greatness. That's how worship works. And so if that's how we respond to anything in this life, and we do it all the time, I mean, you see a nice car, you go, whoa, you know, you've just worshiped in a small way. 
but you're like, wow, it, it, it caught your attention. You're, you're admiring a piece of machinery, right? That's, that's a worship in a small way. That's just how we, we react that way. Can you imagine the kind of reaction that we have when we get before the infinite, holy, awesome God of the universe? See, part of the reason why God does not reveal himself in all of his glory right now, because I know we would love that. I'd love to have God just show up right here. And wouldn't that be awesome? But part of the reason why God doesn't is because he wants our worship to be voluntary. If God showed up in that way, there's no choosing to worship. Worship is just a reaction. We're, we, we will be puddles on the floor, tears, faces on the floor, right? And so that's why, that's why every crown that I receive, every reward that I receive, every little blessing that God's given to me as a result, right, of, of certain behaviors, these things, I come into the presence of God and it's just God. I lay it at his feet. You are worthy, God. You're worthy to receive glory and honor and praise and power because you created all things and by you all things are sustained and held together. All things are by you and for you, God. And you're above all things and you're greater than all things. And God, you're infinite and I'm finite. And you're the potter and I'm the clay. And you're the creator, and I'm the created. And God, it's my privilege to kneel at your feet and give you the honor that's rightly due your name. Here it is, God. Everything I have is yours. Worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb. So that's why I want the biggest crown so I can give the greatest praise to the one who ultimately deserves it all Hmm. I want to end with just this question and then we're going to open up our altar I'm going to actually invite you to stand would you stand with me come on let's stand I have I know we've gone a little late but I hope it's been good I God I, I sense God wants to do something just something else I have a question for you is Jesus your Lord and does he know it? It's one thing to say that he's my Lord. I'm asking, does he know it? There's a little passage in the Bible that absolutely has been rocking my world lately, this week, just this week. It's found in Genesis, of all places. You know the story where Abraham went to sacrifice his son Isaac and then God held him back from it and didn't, he didn't have to do it ultimately but he he was going to go through with it and then God stopped him right God makes this little statement now I know that you have faith I'm like well you're God but God wants to experience my faith my faith is practical your faith is practical it's not just theoretical so this thing about Jesus being our Lord like, that's, that's practical. That's not theoretical. So that's why I ask, is Jesus your Lord, and does he know it? 
Because you see, how can I claim that Jesus has my heart if he doesn't have my wallet? How can I claim that Jesus has my heart if he doesn't have my calendar? If he doesn't have my talents, if he doesn't have my home, if he doesn't have my, my time? How can I claim that he has my heart if he doesn't have anything? That's why I ask, is Jesus your Lord? Does he know it? Because your father has some awesome rewards in store for you and me. And he says, come on, kids. Let's go. It's available to you. Bow your heads and pray with me, please. Lord, we need you. I thank you, Father, for your love for us. I thank you, Lord, for the privilege that we have to be your children. What an honor that is. And yes, Lord, I call you, Lord. I want you to be my Lord, not just in theory, but I want you to be my Lord in practice, in the way that I behave, in the way that I think and feel and talk every day. You are Lord. Father, we commit this word. I pray that uh, it would continue to bear fruit in our hearts today. And we ask this in Jesus' name.